chapter 8. So, Old Testament, Nehemiah, open up to the middle of your Bible. You'll open up to the book of Psalms or Job or Job. And uh, go to the left and we'll find Nehemiah. And uh, Pastor Vince mentioned about the table with the books and such on there. And I do hope you'll stop by. And honestly, he's, he said more about it this week than I have uh, for two reasons. One, because I forgot. And uh, secondly, because it's just not, it's not something that I actually say a lot about often. Here's, here's what I will say, is that the things that are back on the table are things that are helpful to us. Like they've been helped to our family, and so that's the reason why we carry them. Now, typically, we have a little bit more than we do right now. Um, but because of some situations back where we get books and a fire that they had and such, we don't, we're not able to carry everything that we always carry. Um, but what's back there, I think will be helpful to you if, if you can use it. Don't, don't go back there and get something out of like a <laughs> no mercy buying. That is, don't think to yourself, oh man, if we don't buy anything, then the Thompsons won't eat next week. It's not, that's not the reason why we carry what we have on the table. That is purely for the benefit of the people to whom we're privileged to minister. So look at the titles, ask Seth questions about them. If you have questions about what they're about, and if you go, oh, that's something I'm interested in, great. Now, if there's a book back there and you don't read, don't buy it. There's no reason to. Uh, we have CDs back there. Um, two of them are Britney's piano CDs. So like what you've heard her play for Prelude or for the Offertory um, she has a couple of CDs that are back there. And then we have a couple of singing CDs. One is from 150 years ago before Brittany and I had children singing. And it's just her and I. And then um, one more recent with the boys singing. Actually, it's very fun for our family to listen to because it was about three years ago and Seth's voice had not changed yet. And so he still had the high, uh, the high voice. Now I tell him, you sound like a foghorn now. But he used to have this really high um, nice sounding voice, so it's on there. So now we listen to it and just point and laugh. But, but the songs are um, enjoyable, and I think you'll enjoy them. Um, so if you enjoy listening to music, and if you have a CD player, then it's back there. If you don't have a CD player, there are a couple of the, the CDs that are on digital, and if you don't have digital or CD, we have eight tracks underneath the table, and so you can <laughs> get the eight track or the tape, cassette tape, or the LP record, whatever it is that you need. Before that, I don't know what, Braille, I guess, so that's, and that's it. So, um, hey, let's, uh, let's get to the reason why we've gathered together tonight. We're going to look together at Nehemiah chapter number 8 is where we're going to begin. And uh, again, we're, we're jumping into a narrative. So we're jumping into a storyline. And I mentioned to you yesterday that whenever you are reading an informational passage in the scripture, the importance of getting the context of it and how much it helps you to understand what's being said, because what matters is not only the words that are used, but what's intended by the words that are used. In other words, what God says and what he means by what he says, and that's, that's important. When you are reading a narrative, a storyline, one of the things that helps, and we tried to do this on Sunday morning when we looked at Revelation chapter 4, one of the things that helps a lot is to be able to smell the smells and see the sights and be aware of what it is that's going on in the storyline just because it alerts you to some of, the, um, some of the things that are said, but the reason why they're said, or the significance that somebody would, in this circumstance, say what they said. It, it, just, it just makes a difference to stand up and say, I'm proud to be an American, 
Well, that means something if I were to say that tonight. But if someone were standing in the middle of a uh, country surrounded by military police with guns pointed at them where the country does not recognize the United States or does not love the United States of America and to stand and say, I'm proud to be a United States of American, and uh, that, that would all of a sudden, the context of it, the storyline of it makes a difference. So same thing is true when you're reading the Bible. If you can be aware of what it is that's going on, it allows the significance of it to make a difference in your understanding of it. In the case of what we're about to read, we're jumping in mid-story where Nehemiah has been used by God to help the people of Israel, specifically the inhabitants of Jerusalem, rebuild the walls around the city after they had been taken over by foreign nations and the walls had been pushed over and the gates burned with fire and the wisest and smartest of the people were taken out and just the, um, just the people who didn't know any better, just, just the people who couldn't figure things out, they were left basically as, hope you can make it kind of deal. And so the land has really gone through, the, the land of Jerusalem and the land of Israel has gone through a lot of turmoil and trouble. God calls Nehemiah to come back and help rebuild these walls. And we're finding them inside the walls that they've just rebuilt. And they're having a, uh, almost a party. It's, it's like, um, it's as if the people have a breath of hope up to this point if you lived in this time, in this area, you're looking around at all the people around you and you're thinking to yourself, man, we're in trouble. If this, yeah, exactly. If this is the guy, if this is the guy who's my neighbor and I have to depend on him, hit the button. Uh-oh. That's exactly, that's exactly what you're thinking to yourself. There's just, there's just nothing, there's no hope. But then Nehemiah comes and he helps them do something they, they never expected to be able to do. And they accomplished it. And then they came together. And they had almost a party slash service. This was a service where they gathered together. I mean like this kind of service. Where they gathered together to listen again to what God had to say. And it's with the first glimpse of hope that they've had in years. And here's what happens. Verse number one, Nehemiah chapter eight. All the people of Jerusalem, all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation. Now the congregation was made up both of men and women and all that could hear with understanding. And this was upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until the midday, before the men and the women and all those that could understand. That is, children that were old enough to understand what it was that was being said. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra, the scribe, stood upon a pulpit of wood. When you hear pulpit, think platform, because that's what, that's what it means. So he stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood, and then there are several names of different Levites, men mentioned in the end of verse number four. Verse number five. 
And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people upon that platform. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua and Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achab, Shabbatai, Hadijah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peleah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law. These would have been the guys up on the platform. They caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, Hey, this day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Okay, now I hope you watched the story take place as well as listen to it. Now, I'm gonna, I, I want to share with you something that is obvious from this passage, from this narrative, in just a moment. Before we do, let me just stop and ask the Lord to help me to be able to say just the things that need to be said. And uh, while, I'm, while I'm talking to the Lord, if you know the Lord, then you ask Him to speak to your heart. Ask Him to show you what you need to hear as a result of our gathering together tonight. We don't want this to be a waste of service, do we? We want to have God work in a special way. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we come in faith in His name. You, you said, Lord Jesus, that where two or three are gathered in your name for your purposes, you're in the midst of them. And we come in faith anticipating that your presence would be known and sensed, that your spirit would have the freedom to go to each person that's in this room, in this auditorium tonight, and that you would take the truth of your word and you would touch them with it wherever and whatever it is that they need to receive. And I'm asking, Father, that you would do that. If there are some tonight who need some confrontation in their life right now, if they're, if they're involved in things they shouldn't be involved in and they know it and the attitude's not right or the heart is not right, then would you please, for their good and your glory, would you please convince them of their need to get things taken care of. And if some just need some encouragement, then would you please provide that? Or if there's instruction needed. But I do pray that this word given tonight would have impact because it mixes with faith with a group to whom I'm privileged to preach would meet with you, God, and with your word and would with faith receive and take that which you have laid out as your plan. Now help me please to explain just clearly as I can and maybe even better than what I'm able by your grace. Help me to explain what your word says and what you intend from this passage. And I ask this, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As an evangelist, traveling around and preaching, obviously um, we meet with churches uh, on different nights than what you would normally meet. We're meeting tonight on a Tuesday night, which is not when you all typically meet together. 
And it's a special week that's set aside on purpose. And the purpose of it is we, it, it's to allow us to step away for a few days a little differently than what we normally do, step away from the things that we're normally involved in and kind of, if you will, wipe off the dust of the things that touch us every day that are not in and of themselves bad, but, but maybe don't point us in a direction of thinking about life in its proper context, thinking about things from an eternal point of view. So we gather together and we come together to hear from God the things that we need and to be moved by God where it is that he wants us to be moved and to allow the Holy Spirit of God using the word of God to impact our lives and to reveal things to us where we need to have those things revealed so that we can make them right. So this is the reason why we gather together. Now, as an evangelist doing this on a regular basis, I will tell you that there is not a service in which I'm privileged to preach where I don't, or almost never, where I don't either prior to the service or else in the service, ask God to do something special in the service in which I'm privileged to preach. That is, like I prayed a moment ago, God, would you please come meet with us and doing us what needs to be done so that we can be more effective for eternity and so that we can have your power and your blessing on our lives. Almost never, almost never do I preach where either before or during the service where I, where I don't ask that. Because I don't want to travel around the United States of America and into whatever country God opens up for me to go to and stand up in front of people and take an hour of their evening when, when they could be resting and have it just be a waste where I just stand up and get enough money from one church to make it to the next church to get enough money to make it to the next church. It's not, that's not what I'm interested in at all. This is, this is one of... This is a matter of a calling from God for a purpose where if God doesn't move in the hearts of the people to whom I'm privileged to preach, then I think to myself, why? Why do this? That is, we're having meetings this week that we call revival meetings. More accurately, meetings where we're seeking God for revival. And the idea of revival is when we come back to the place where we're living as God would have us live with his power, with his grace, with his mindset, with his heart. Remember like we looked at last night being conformed into the image of his dear son where, where we're living with his grace in our life and seeing God do in and through us that which we read about as what's supposed to be the normal Christian life in the New Testament. So this is, what, this is what we're doing and this is what we're praying for. So that when I'm preaching in a service, this is what I'm begging God for. So when I read in Nehemiah chapter 8, what we just read a moment ago, I cannot help but as I read that, think to myself, you know what? <laughs> Nehemiah 8 is exactly what I would love to see. Did you, did you catch, when we were reading it, did you catch what happened in this setting, in this narrative that we just read a moment ago? 
The people of Jerusalem had gathered together after having this wall built. They built a platform. On the platform, Nehemiah and Ezra, he was the scribe, and then a group of men, Levites, bring out the law of God. They open it up, and they begin to explain to the people. And what was the people's response? Do you remember? Verse number 9, what did, what did the people, verse 8 and verse 9, what did, what did the people do? They heard the words of the law and they went, oh no, oh, oh, we're in trouble. Oh man, the Bible says they wept when they heard the words of the law. Now, I'm not suggesting that in every service in which I have the opportunity to preach God's word that I'm hoping people will weep. It's not what I'm suggesting. The point is, is that when they looked at the word of God, and saw the meaning of it, their hearts were turned towards God and in recognition of, man, we're missing out. Here they've been living without God's blessing for years. They can just look around and remember six weeks before this moment and remember what the walls looked like and what the gates looked like and who their neighbors were and who was missing from the neighborhood from a year and a half ago when the kingdoms came in and took all of the smartest people back as slaves. And they might have said, God, we need, God, we need something. We don't know what it is. And here they hear the words of the law and it strikes at their heart and they respond to what it is that God has shown to them. And I think to myself when I read that, yes, yes, Nehemiah 8 is exactly what needs to happen in the churches in which I'm privileged to preach. Now, I thank God for the people that are here tonight. I thank God for this church. I thank God for the churches in which our family gets to minister on a regular basis. But I will tell you that almost in every church in which I'm privileged to preach, there are needs. Would it be out of place for me to suggest or think that there might be needs here spiritually as well? I mean, even in our group or in the group that may be listening to this service a little bit later on, that in the homes in which are represented here tonight or represented in this church, that there are needs where God could do some moving and some working and some adjusting? Or in your life individually, your lives individually, where the hand and power of God could and should be on you? So, so that I read Nehemiah 8, and I go, this is fitting. This is perfect. God, I would love to see Nehemiah chapter 8 take place in this church where, where the services that happen inside these walls obviously have the hand and power and work of God on them in a great way. So let me ask you, would you like it? Would you like it if in every service in which you guys met together, I don't mean this week necessarily, though this is included, but I mean next Sunday and then Wednesday, would you like it if the anticipation, listen, and the expectancy for yourself and for the service in general was Nehemiah 8's going to take place today? I don't mean a false work yourself into a frenzy emotionally. I mean like God's going to move today. I just know it. 
I just expect because this is what this is what has been happening. This is what is the norm for us. It is not unusual for us to see God move in a special way and for families to get right and for wayward children to come back and for people who are not doing right to start doing right and for the heart of the people and the heart of the leadership all to be on page with God and God is at work. I mean, would you wouldn't it be great to be a part of a church like that? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Where the Spirit of God moves in a special way. Well, I'd love it if, if every time I got to stand and preach, that's what happened. I know you would. So then I read Nehemiah chapter 8, and I say to myself, why? Why did Nehemiah 8 happen? Was this just a moment where God decided to meet with them? Or is there some sort of pattern of what led to this moment? Now, let me stop and say this real quickly. We're obviously reading about the people of Israel, and we're reading in the Old Testament. So sometimes people would say something along the lines of, well, you can't say that God would treat the people and church today the same way that he treated the people of Israel because it's a different relationship. And in part, that is true. The church and Israel are not the same thing. That is certainly true. However, when you can see in the Old Testament the characteristics or the character of God then it's not improper to say God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, will work this way. In other words, we can anticipate, we can expect, we can, here's, here's the phrase, we can take by faith that what God has done, He will do if it's a part of His plan. If we're a part of what God is doing, then we can expect that God will work like he did in this day. So I read Nehemiah 8 and I say to myself, why did it happen? Okay, now this is not sermonizing. Listen to me. This is not a matter of, well, this is an evangelist here, so you'd expect an evangelist to go to a passage like this and to um, say this is what brings revival. This is not sermonizing. This is, I saw Nehemiah 8 and I said, why did it happen can it be repeated? Is there a reason or was it just a matter of God decided on that day to work in the midst of his people? What was it that took place? And I became convinced because of studying around the passage that there were some things that were in order. There, there, was some, there were some decisions and some choices made that brought about this where God was pleased to do something special. Now let me stop and say this. It is true, please catch this, that God is the sovereign of revival, meaning God has to do it. It's God that needs to stir in the hearts of people. It is not the responsibility of the pastor or any person teaching a class or preaching to stir the hearts of the people. Different preachers have different styles of preaching. I am by nature um, a little bit more intense. That's just, that's just my nature. I've known your pastor for a number of years, and I know there are moments in his life where he's going to get intense, but not a bunch of them. But revival is not dependent upon a style of delivery. Right? Right? 
Are you with me thus far? It's God that has to stir in the heart. Just like mom, dad, aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa, friend, neighbor, it's not within your power to convince the hearts, to convince other people of the truths of God. Now we have a responsibility and the Word of God is quick and powerful so that I can give God's Word, but that's God's plan. And when we, by faith, follow God's plan, then there's an expected end. And that's what this is. Yes, God is the sovereign of moving in the hearts of people and it's God's presence that is needed here at your church. But if God's presence and moving comes about as a result of some preparation that leads to it and it's part of his character, then if I by faith follow the plan that he's developed, that he's set up, that he is blessed, then I can anticipate Receiving what it is that God's promise would come. So what? What happened? Well, first of all, um, look at verse number 8. Um, I don't think I can reach it from here. I'm going to have to go around. I want to show you the first thing that I saw that was just screamingly obvious. Um, in verse number 8 of chapter number 8, that I saw that this, this, is, this is part of God's plan. This is part of why Nehemiah 8 happened, where the service happened, where God moved. Verse 8 says this, So they, um, the they there would be Nehemiah and Ezra and all these Levites up on this platform, up, up on the pulpit. So, um, so they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them, the people, to understand the reading. Okay, now, if you were looking at verse number 8, and you were going to modernize verse number 8 into one word, that is, if verse 8 were a definition, what word comes to your mind when you hear that these men up on the platform read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense, explained it, and caused the people to understand it. What does that sound like to you? This is, this is preaching at church. This is a gathering where the Word of God is given, where it's explained. Okay, now a couple things. This, this, is, so, um, this is so obvious slash basic that you might think to yourself, Tim, get through this into something that I don't already know. But I, I will tell you, this is, not, this is not a matter of hurry through things that we, um, that we know. This is a matter of, let me put myself under what it is that God has established as what is necessary in order for us to experience the power of God on our lives, in our families, and on this church. And here's where it begins. Rather, here's where it ends, is in verse number 8, where the explanation, the preaching of the Word of God is given. Now, let me, let me say this quickly, and I, I've got to get past this fast because there's two other things that I've got to show you that lead up to this. And if you don't have it all, then you miss. Then, then, then none, of it, none of it works if you don't have every item. So, um, with preaching, two, two things. Number one, preaching has two parts. 
Preaching has two parts. Preaching has both the giving and then there's the receiving part of preaching. The giving part of preaching is to stand and to give what God says. To just explain the truth of the Bible. And that is your pastor's responsibility. It is my responsibility. Anyone who stands and teaches, it is their responsibility. Whether it's accepted or rejected, whether you're loved or hated, whether it, uh, whether it sounds good, feels good, whether it uh, pushes against the social norms, whatever the case may be, my responsibility is to stand and to tell you what God says. Because God's word changes lives. God's word works. God works through his word. So there's the giving. But I will tell you that the only way that Nehemiah 8 preaching has as a result a Nehemiah 8 service is when the ears of the people are attentive. Now friends, that's you. And that's your responsibility. So to in your heart um, say, oh yeah, I'd love to see special services where God really moves and God really works and where we could just expect that if lost people would come in, they'd be convinced of their need to trust Christ. And if wayward people would come to the service, oh, God would get a hold of them. Oh man, if we could just get our neighbors here, how God would work to say that we want that. Amen, Brother Tim. Amen. We want revival. But then not come into services with heart, ears, mind engaged in what it is that's going on. It's, it's, um, it's meaningless. It's weak. It has, it has no, it, won't, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. So look, here's, here's what I'm saying. Rather, here's what God is teaching us from this. When you come to a service, be certain, regardless of the voice that God chooses to use. You come to a service with your ears attentive and your heart saying, search me, O God. Work in me, O God. And it is true that there are some practical choices you can make if you by your choice, listen to the whole phrase, if you, by your choice, are staying up super late on Saturday night so that listening on a Sunday morning is an exercise in discipline because of a poor choice the night before, um, would you guys be okay if I were... Um, a little bit snarky just for a moment, but I, I mean it with love in my heart. You can want till the cows come home to have special services, but it won't be for you because obviously in order for Nehemiah 8 services to take place, then the giving and the receiving of the scriptures 
has to be a part. And by the way, for what it's worth, one of the reasons why I think this is important to mention is because um, there are a number of young people who are here, and at some point you'll probably move away. Well, I don't know if you'll move away from here, but if you do, and you start looking for a church, it's easy to get caught up in going to a church where things are um, entertaining or emotional or big enough where you can just get lost in it. But if the preaching of the Word of God is not preeminent, then you'll have a lot of things that may be true, but you'll not have God's presence. You won't have Nehemiah 8 services. So, you won't have Nehemiah 8 services, you've got to have verse number 8, the preaching of the Word of God. Now, quickly, in order to have Nehemiah 8 services, you, you can read this yourself and find it. In order to have Nehemiah 8 services, you have to go through Nehemiah chapter 1. So, go back with me, please, and let's, let's see what it is that God does in Nehemiah's life that brought about this Nehemiah 8 service. Why, why is this here? Why is Nehemiah 8 here? Well, Nehemiah 8 here is here in part because of Nehemiah chapter 1. In Nehemiah 1, we find out that Nehemiah is not a resident of Jerusalem. You may already know this, but if you don't, Nehemiah is not a resident of Jerusalem. Now, he's an Israelite, but he's one of the smart ones that had been taken captive, and he worked for a king, a foreign king by the name of Artaxerxes, and his responsibility was that he was a... Um, uh, the Bible calls him a cup bearer. So he would have perhaps tested the food, tasted food that he would have brought to the king and maybe checked it, made sure it wasn't poisoned or, or made sure it was to his liking and he would have brought it before the king. And because of his position, he also would have been a confidant of the king. So the king would have sought him for counsel. So pretty high up guy. He was a slave, he was a servant, but he had a pretty good position as a servant, so must have been a very wise man. So the Bible says that while he is in his job place in Shushan, the winter palace of King Artaxerxes, he got some visitors. Verse 2, the Bible says, Han and I, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them, so he's asking these guys who came to visit him, hey, how are things, how are the Jews that escaped, which were left of captivity, and how are things in Jerusalem? And they said unto me, listen to this, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down. The gates thereof are burned with fire. Okay, stop for a second. Let me ask you a question. Are things back home good or bad? <laughs> Walls are pushed over. Gates are burned with fire. Bad day. The people are in reproach. Why? Because it's all, the, it's all the refuse people that are left. And nobody's, nobody's experiencing anything good. Crop failure. The land is barren. They have no protection. Okay, let me tell you something. When you and I hear that, we hear this as a historical fact of something that went bad in Jerusalem. When Nehemiah hears this, what he hears is this, that the people back home in Jerusalem aren't following God. They're not doing right because God had promised the people of Israel that if they did what was right, his blessing would be on them. So when he hears, when he hears how bad things are, Nehemiah knows back home, they're not following God. Things aren't good at all. Hey, and for what it's worth, it's a great picture. It's only a picture, but their description of Jerusalem, walls pushed over, gates burned with fire, people in reproach, is a great description, a great picture of the state of people in society. On, I mean, 
just the, the lives and the turmoil and so many people dealing with so many mental illnesses and homes being torn apart and divorce being so normal and uh, the way that, that young people treat authority and the way the authority looks at and considers young people in the state of our nation and the direction and the obvious immorality that surrounds us constantly where the people that are in control of our nation and of our states are people that, that you, wouldn't, you wouldn't trust your children to spend time with them and know everything was going to be okay. I mean, it just, this is a great description where the people's lives are like walls pushed down and gates burn with fire and they're in reproach because they, they need the hand of God. You know people. You're related to them. Just like I am. Some of you have them in close relations. Some of you have as close neighbors or friends from when you grew up. Schoolmates or people that you work with, co-workers. That their lives are a mess. And maybe even some to whom I'm speaking tonight, you think to yourself, them? That's me. <laughs> That's me. So Nehemiah hears this, and it's very instructive what Nehemiah does. Look at this. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then the rest of the chapter is Nehemiah's prayer before God where he says things like, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and let your eyes be open that thou mayest hear my prayer. Hear the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee now day and night. And he continues to pray for the children of Israel and to confess his sins and his father sins and the sins of the people. In other words, he's saying, God, we, we're in trouble because we're wrong. Okay, now this is, this is so, ah, there's so many lessons with this. Let me just bring out a couple. One, Nehemiah's immediate response to the issue was, listen to this, to recognize that the issue in the society that he was concerned about while it may have portrayed itself in a physical way, gates, walls, people in reproach, he knew that it was connected to a spiritual issue. Hey, do you like the state of the United States of America right now? Let's take just some physical things. Do you like paying the price for fuel that you pay? How about going into grocery stores and the food's not there? The, the amount of taxes, the lies that are told by politicians, the promises made and promises broke, the, uh, I'm going to use the word idiocy. I don't, I don't mean that as a, as a derogatory, as in calling people names. I mean it in its truest sense. 
the without thinkingness of choices that are being made in public school education. Okay, so what's the problem? Well, the way the government spends money. Do you realize that the problem, the problems of America do not stem from a physical issue? It's a spiritual problem. I don't know anybody's story, but if there's anybody in here tonight that has family members whose lives are in disarray, money issues, sometimes health issues, not always, family issues, you know that's not physical, right? I mean, it may be a physical issue, that may be what you see, but it's connected to something deeper. They're spiritual issues. So Nehemiah looks at this and immediately he knows they don't have God's blessing. And so Nehemiah prays. And the Bible says that for six months he prays and at times he fasts and he begs God to do what only God can do. Now church, let me tell you something. I thank God for your, for this body of believers and for the opportunities that you will have in the lives of others. But if you want to experience Nehemiah 8 services, Okay, listen to me. Please catch this. There is no chance of Nehemiah 8 taking place here unless Nehemiah 1 is also taking place. In your family, in your workplace, in your lives, Nehemiah 8 never happens if Nehemiah 1 does not. And it may be that we're quick to throw physical answers where there's actually a spiritual issue. And I'm telling you, if this group right here would get a hold of Nehemiah 1 and come to the God of covenant and mercy and beg God to do what only God can do, requesting forgiveness of sins, calling out to God on behalf of the people that you're privileged to minister to and the people of this area, I'm telling you that if you'll pray and you'll just keep on asking and if it takes six months or if it takes six years and at times you fast and you push away from the stuff of this world to gather together by yourself or as a family, as a husband and wife, and you beg God to do what only God can do. That's going to be an absolute necessity if Nehemiah 8 is ever going to take place. You, you, can have your, you can have your building, you can have your special music, you can have your services and your lights and 
You can have all of that. But that does not guarantee the blessing and moving of God. You want Nehemiah 8? It takes the preaching of the Word of God. That is true. But you want to get to Nehemiah 8? Then you got to go through Nehemiah chapter 1. And then, in a couple minutes, I gotta, I've, got, I've got to just share with you quickly one more. And this really can go very quickly. If you want to get to Nehemiah 8, then you have to go through Nehemiah chapters 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. But don't worry, because it's all summarized into one four-letter word that begins with W and ends with K. Anybody want to take a guess? Okay, that's what it is. It's work. This is what happens. So in Nehemiah's story, in case you don't know, Nehemiah one day brings the food before the king, and the king, um, um, the king says to Nehemiah, Hey, Nehemiah, you're sad. Why are you sad? Now, real quickly, if, if the guy who tests your food for poison is sad, you do want to know the reason why. So this is a legitimate question. Nehemiah, what's What's wrong? Seriously, what's wrong? And Nehemiah says to the king, he says, well, back home, Jerusalem's, my city is pushed over, the walls are pushed over, gates burn with fire, people in reproach. I love this. I love this. This is after six months of praying. The king says to Nehemiah, the king says to his servant, what do you want? And Nehemiah says, Lord, I need a letter of safe passage I need time off, and I need wood to rebuild the gates. And the king says, you got it. Okay, this is, this, is what I, this is what I love, is that this is completely anti everything that you would expect. Why does it happen? And the answer is, because God can open up doors that no man can shut. You want to see people saved? You need the power of God. You need God, you need to work with God on that. I'm telling you, you spend six months prayer and take some time fasting, six months or six years, or maybe six weeks, and God will open up some doors. And then when he opens up doors, you just walk through. That's what Nehemiah did. He goes to Jerusalem, he rides around the city. Next day, he gathers all the people together. He says, guess what? Let me tell you about what God's doing. Let me tell you about what God can do. This is great. This is going to be exciting. Here's what we're supposed to do. And the Bible says that all the people had a mind to work, and they did. They built the wall, and they worked, and they worked hard. They did. They worked hard. And I'm not talking about laboring in prayer. I'm talking about laboring in labor. That is that they, they got bloody knuckles, and they took the rocks, and they put one on top of the other. Okay, listen. Look, this is, this is so simple but necessary. This is, way, this is what God does. You come to God, you beg God for the people that are around you. God is going to say, hey, all right, I got to wait for this to happen. Let me open up an opportunity for you to be able to reach out to people who need to know me, whose lives are a mess that can be brought to me, and he's going to provide an opportunity. But that opportunity is going to involve some W-O-R-K work, some involvement. Okay, so, real quickly, let me give you four practical things to end. And I'm going to use the word work as an acrostic. W-O-R-K. W-O-R-K. W. Because God's going to open up doors. And I believe that he'll open up doors for you in the future. When he does, and you need to get involved in this work, W, watch out for weariness. Now, the way to watch out for weariness is to work together. Finish the statement for me, please. Many hands make... Okay, so you had a mom too. Many hands make light work. Meaning, hey, 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 everybody get on the rope and pull. Everybody get involved. Everybody invest. Everybody be a part of this. 
And when everybody gets involved, then many hands make light work. The way you watch out for weariness is by working together. It just, it's just, it makes sense. And that's what the people did. The people had a mind to work. Now, there were some people that stood against them. Sanballat and Tobiah were people on the outside that caused all kinds of issues. God dealt with them. There were a few nobles, a few people who thought they were too good to work. They were part of the group, but they weren't going to invest in it. Now, not cool enough, not good enough. Um, I don't see how it's going to actually happen. Sorry, I don't invest in losing propositions. Nehemiah says, remember this, Lord. Remember them. W, watch out for weariness. O, overlook the faults of others. Okay, overlook the faults of others. When I say faults, I don't mean sins, because if there's sin then it needs to be dealt with. And if you know of somebody who's not doing right, then in a spirit of humility, you're supposed to go to a brother or sister and address it. You're supposed to go and confront so that you can help them to get back to God and do what's right. But I'm talking about overlooking the personality differences. You, you do know, don't you, that different people have different personalities? I mean, you have children, you're married, you know other people. Different people have different personalities. Some of you are probably very organized people. Some of you are more like I am, which is, okay, Sarah, Sarah, what shall be, shall be. Why make a plan when I'm probably going to change it anyway? Let's go. This is going to be great. All right. So sometimes when those two people are working together, even on a good thing, that there can be friction that can cause the work not to go forward. Okay, listen. It is true that sometimes you may have to go to the pastor and say, hey, I'm struggling with this because I'm working with this person. It's not working out real well. But you know, sometimes, most of the time, most of the time, it's just a matter of, hey, um, this work is more important than my petty personality. And um, as uh, my friend says, I need to build a bridge and get over myself. Get past it. Okay, so watch out for weariness. Overlook the faults of others. R, remember the reason. Remember the reason. That is, don't forget the reason for which we're doing this. Don't fall so in love with a job that you have, with, an, uh, with a service opportunity you have that you forget the reason that, that we're a part of what God is doing. So watch out for weariness. Overlook the faults of others. R, remember the reason. Hey, by the way, do you think Nehemiah loved walls? Do you think it was like his passion to build walls? Did he go after Jerusalem to all the other cities and say, let me help you build a wall. I've come up with a plan. Is that what he was in love with? What was Nehemiah about? He was about Nehemiah 8. He was about getting people back to God. It was just, the wall was just a place. It just, they just needed a spot that was a necessary evil, if you will, in order to get to what was important. So remember the reason. And then K. So watch out for awareness. Overlook the faults of others. Remember the reason. And then K. Never quit. Never quit. K-N-E-V-E-R. Never quit. K-W-I-T. In Tennessee, they don't even blink. They're just like, oh yeah, all right, sure. <laughs> Never quit. thought it might work in Kentucky. I didn't know. The point is, don't, um, 
it, it is true that at times you have to back off of things or you need to take a break. Um, some of us have a personality tendency to take more of a break than what we ought to, and some of us don't know when it's time to take a break. That is true. You need God's wisdom, and that's part of the reason why God gives leadership to a church, namely your pastor. But don't, don't get to the place where you go, well, I've done my time. Poof, all right. <sighs> no, 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 no. This is not done for our glory or for remembrance of us. This is done for our Lord. And if I'm 80 years old, then he's still worthy, right? Or if I'm 90, or if I'm 30, or if I'm 16, or if I'm 19, if I'm 22, if I'm 35, if I'm 40. God's worthy. So that I'm not going to come to a place and go, well, that's enough. I may have to adjust what I do. If I'm 85 years old, I may not be able to teach the kindergartners anymore. Okay. All right. That may be true. But there's still opportunities. So just, just keep at it. Never, never quit. Okay. So let me just back up. Give it to you one more time, just because I don't want you to miss this, and then our time is finished. We'll, we'll pray. Nehemiah 8, where God moves. It's exactly what I'd love to see this week. It's what I'd love to see be the norm at your church. In order for that to take place, what we know is from Nehemiah 8, verse number 8, is that the preaching of the Word of God, God's Word given, hearts that are receiving, ears attentive, minds engaged to the best of our abilities. We are receiving and accepting what it is that God has for us. You want to get to Nehemiah 8? You got to go through Nehemiah chapter 1 where we see the need for what it is. It's a spiritual need that involves us, that involves others around us, that, that there are people that need to come to God because their lives are in trouble their eternities are certainly in trouble. And so we come to God and beg God to do what only God can do. If that involves mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, or fasting and prayer, we beg God. And then when God opens up the door of opportunity and we have an opportunity to reach out, then jump in. Bloodied hands, sweat on the brow, knocking on doors, passing out flyers, vacuuming the church, sweeping, paying for whatever needs to happen, but doing the work, watching out for weariness, overlooking the faults of others, remembering the reason, and then not giving up, never quitting, keeping at it, and the importance that that is. So if you want to see me in my eight services, that's the plan. That's the plan, not because I said it, but because it's in the characteristic of God. You can see it in the New Testament. Father, help us as we draw nigh to you to anticipate that you would draw nigh to us. I pray that you please help each member, each person who's a part of this ministry or a part of your family, perhaps a part of another church and they're just visiting tonight, Whatever the case may be, God, I pray that you'd please help us to um, begin by desiring to see you do something special in the hearts of people and to not be satisfied with just having enough money to pay bills and to have our bellies full and our pockets full. I pray that you'd please um, convince us fully 
of your ability to change people's hearts, of your ability to, to work. I pray that you'd help myself and others who have the opportunity to stand in front of others, help us to tell your word and help people to hear it. God, I pray that you'd put it on the hearts of many that they would, that they would become Nehemiah 1 Christians. And then when doors of opportunity are open, help each person, each person to invest in the work. I ask this, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, um, 